Hilda Perez Alvarado is the CEO of Orient Express and Group Chief Strategy Officer at Accor. And in this episode, she shares her career and leadership advice on everything from why you should learn about real estate to why being a global citizen is important to time management to lessons from parenting and creating more inclusive work environments. Hospitality. 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 Hospitality brings people together. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. I'd like to talk a little bit about real estate because I feel many participants in the hospitality industry actually don't know that much about real estate. And I want people to understand the built environment and the role of it in providing hospitality. It's a big economic driver. It influences a lot. You built this career in real estate on so many different levels up to leading JLL as global CEO. My question for you is, what would you like industry participants to know about real estate or the built environment? If they maybe have had no exposure to it, why does some knowledge of real estate matter as a hospitality provider? Well, without real estate, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? So my gosh, where do we start? There are so many stakeholders. Just to take a step back, there's so many stakeholders, all critical, none more important than the other, by the way, in hospitality. So there's obviously your employees, your guests, the owner of the building, the management, of the hotel, but really super important, the community where you operate, right? So you have to have an understanding of real estate because again, this is where you're going to be planting your flag. You cannot move your location, okay? The best hotels are curated for every single guest. By the way, that doesn't mean just the guest that is paying for the hotel room for that one evening or whatever the length of stay is, but also the community. Are they going to go and are they going to become patrons of your hotel, are they going to die in the hotel? Are they going to use it maybe for a meeting? Maybe they want to stay there. Maybe they want to celebrate something there. So you have to know about real estate to know where to open. By the way, real estate is extremely important. About 40% of all carbon emissions come from the built environment. So you got to be sensitive to that. Honestly, there's so many applications from the community bit for me is something I feel very passionate about. A proper building or a proper collection of buildings can make or break a neighborhood. Okay, it can. So, you know, there's so many city centers that are dilapidated right now. And it's very sad. It has a massive economic implication to the people who live there or work there or commute to that city center. The best development that I've seen right now, so you know, world-class, we're working on at JLL and here at Accor, we're working on several projects in the Middle East, but you take what's going on in Saudi Arabia at the moment, we're just experiencing a very big development boom, of course. It's not just putting buildings one right next to each other and saying, you know what, that's the community, it's placemaking. So you also need to take that into consideration when you're working with real estate. What are the the uses around it, you know, how are you going to curate the best community for it? If it's not attractive, people are not going to come into your building or your hotel, no matter how nice the room is, right? So there are so many moving pieces. 
And just from an investment perspective, we have to be mindful of the owner of the building, the investor who is giving us the keys to operate or manage their hotel. It's an investment at the end of the day. So we got to generate a, a very appropriate return that will help it get financed, you know, that will dictate what the value is, so on and so forth. So I don't know. The reason why I got into it is because one, I loved hospitality, but I wanted something a little bit more scientific, you know, something a little bit more tangential. And I thought real estate is it. The reality, and, and you've probably heard the story before, I discovered real estate because of an amazing professor at Cornell. And ever since then, you know, I've, I've loved it. So if I could explain it with, if I could explain with words what I feel towards it, you know, we'd be talking forever. But it is a great manifestation of placemaking. That's what it is. Yeah. It's interesting to watch some of these new developments, you know, whether it's Saudi developments or in other parts of the world. I'm in San Francisco. You recently moved to Paris. I'm curious, since moving to France, Paris and France in general kind of is really interesting to me because you have all this history. And have you observed anything about placemaking or about kind of development or redevelopment within this context? Because I think a lot of our listeners are going to be in cities where they're you know, you don't have all this real estate for brand new development. Have you seen anything in Paris that has stood out to you recently as they've done a really good job with placemaking? Yeah, no, listen, I think what stands out mostly for me in Paris is every time I look up and I look at a gorgeous building that is centuries old, I always say to myself, my God, they're never going to build it like this again. And so that's where, you know, that sense of respect and knowing the history and me just thinking, my God, what this building saw or what happened here, you know, that I think it's actually quite magical. So I would say it's just, it's the history of it and the fact that it's a very modern city with a beautiful legacy. But you take the other extreme, like what we were talking about, Saudi Arabia, where we're starting from scratch, right? So how do you develop an interesting place where people want to work, live, play at the same time? Because that's what we're all focused on right now. The concept of that 15-minute city as well, that is interesting sustainability. So can you tell us a little bit more about the 15 minute city concept for those who haven't heard it? It's quite interesting. Basically, it's just saying it's giving you the livability factor, right? You need everything basically to be within 15 minutes of where you live, right? And what it does, I think is actually quite interesting. It makes a very big place just feel smaller, feel like a village, right? And it, it allows you to build that sense of community as well. So, you know, there's way more to that, but again, it all goes back to the same thing of placemaking. You know, you want to go to a neighborhood because you want to go explore it. You want to live it. You want to taste it. You want to know what happened there. You want to be a part of it. So again, there's pros and cons of an amazing, gorgeous, incredible city that is Paris with all its history. And by the way, all the efforts that it's doing to make it more livable, to make it more sustainable, et cetera, and then starting from scratch. And so San Francisco, I think that is San Francisco itself presents now one of our, our biggest and best challenges to date. How do we take such a, an important city, historical city, how do we make it sustainable for the next 100 years plus, right? How do we make it livable? How do we make it safe? How do we continue to, you know, to enhance its beauty? It's got its history, you know, how do we combine that with its future history as well? There's so much to do. And 
just from a real estate perspective, it's a very valuable market. There's a lot of wealth in that market that needs to be preserved and obviously it needs to be grown as well. So all of these factors are very important. And for a city to work or for a place to work, there needs to be a very good balance between the public and the private sector. They need to collaborate both sides. I think that maybe that's where a little bit of the disconnect is right now with many of the world cities. I'm very excited to see the role of hospitality and what that can provide. In preparing for this interview, I spoke with some people that know you and your work, and what stood out was this notion of being a global citizen. They said that you embody this, you talk about it. I'm curious to you, you know, from what we've talked about, placemaking, that local community is very important to you, but you also think on a global level. So what is being a global citizen in your view? My gosh, listen, it's... uh. I think it's just this relentless quest to learn and grow. That's it. And to do it by meeting people, right? So the beauty of travel is that we said at the beginning, the first eight weeks that I've been here at a core, you know, I've been learning, I've been listening, I've been watching. I'm getting the context so that I can understand why an organization, why the organization behaves the way it does, right? When you travel to a new country or a new city or a new neighborhood, you have to do the same thing, right? You have to have that that cultural context. And what I think is so great about it is that we get to understand each other. So I've grown up in many different places. My family is also from everywhere. By the way, at, at all levels, it's actually quite nice. And where you surround yourself with people who are very different from you. The first thing that you try to do is you establish what you have in common. That's the basis of a relationship. So, you know, when you're only with people who think and look like you, the first thing you think about is what differentiates you, why you're different. You know, that's almost like, I don't know, in Spanish we say rechazo, you know, it's like what drives you apart. When you're traveling, when you're meeting people from all corners of earth, many different backgrounds, again, you learn, you have that ability to establish a connection very quickly. So I love that. I like to, you know, be put in many different uh, settings and backgrounds and navigating it. I completely geek out about it. I like to learn about their food, family, you know, what drives them, their history. Again, getting the context. It's a little bit, maybe it's a little bit childish, but it's like when you're, you know, when somebody's reading you a story when you're a kid and you're, you know, you're thinking about it, you're learning it, you're absorbing it. That's the pleasure that I get by traveling. It's great. And you know what? You go to any city for the most part in terms of where I have to travel for work and for fun. I always have somebody I can call. And that is great. So in hearing you talk across multiple domains from real estate to global strategy to being a CEO to taking time to invest in relationships, I don't know how you do it all. I feel like you you have this insane work ethic. How do you think about time management now? Because I feel like you cover so much on a global basis. How are you currently thinking about that? That is the number one requirement of what I'm doing right now. It's you know about filtering through the noise and all of this information. And by the way, it's not unique to me. It's shared, you know, across the world and focusing on what's important. And to be honestly, my most important aspect in life is my family. That's it. Number one priority. Then the rest of it, I think my brother gave me, you know, we were talking about work-life balance. This was years ago. And he said, uh, he, there's no work-life balance. Forget about that. It's just one blend. 
some days, some weeks, you're going to work so much. The other ones, maybe you're going to have a little bit more personal time, non-work time, but it's just a blend. And I've been super fortunate that I get to do what I love. So for me, it's, it will sound negative. It's like I'm playing all day, right? I'm discovering, I'm learning. Of course, there's challenges. There will always be corporate emergencies that one has to deal with, fires to put out, et cetera. But it's part of the fun, right? That's part of the learning. That's part of the doing. And I have been part of an amazing legacy at JLL. And so when I left JLL, I felt like I contributed what I could have contributed. I gave it my 1000%. I gave it my all. And I left in peace, feeling very happy and leaving my friends behind. But, you know, they're friends outside of work. So this was great. And when I joined up for I wanted to be part of this legacy. I want to be part of the team that is writing the next chapter that is thinking about, you know, what the future of hospitality should be like. I love people. I love speaking to everybody. I like learning from them. And so in terms of time management, it's not an issue. I love what I do. It's fun. I wish I had nine more lives and I wish I had, you know, 50 extra hours in the day. Well, you're doing a lot with what you have. And maybe staying on this theme of family a little bit, you talk about that being your number one priority. You've spoken before about how becoming a parent has been your proudest achievement among all the things that you've done in your life. I'm curious, how has becoming a parent changed the way that you look at the world? Oh, it went from this to this, you know, it was uh, before it was maybe selfish is not the right word, but it was very me. How am I, you know, how am I performing? Yeah, it's all about you. When you're a parent, it's all about somebody else. So in this case, it's, uh, you know, it's all about my daughter. She's my muse and she drives me. She inspires me. I want to be my best uh, version, you know, and even when I'm, you know, we all have ups and downs and maybe times when you're like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about this or am I going to, am I going to perform to, you know, the best of my abilities or this is something very new. Before it was more that inner coach is like, yes, you can do it. You prepared, et cetera. Now it's more, you got to do it. You know, you got to make her proud. So I always think about this. You know, I want her to be proud of her mother. So that's my drive. I guess that goes back to me. So maybe that was a bit of a selfish answer. But from a sustainability perspective, by the way, it does make sense. It does make a lot of sense and changes the perspective. It's not about me wanting to live a, a very nice life. I had an amazing childhood. I'm having an amazing adulthood. But it's more about the next gen. So I want to make sure that when Hildita grows up, my daughter's name is Hilda, when she grows up, she has the same opportunities that I had. She gets to live in the same, if not better environment than I did. And the same, by the way, for my nieces, nephews and the rest of the children in the world. It's not fair. And one of the things that I think we do wrong sometimes as corporations or leaders, we're talking about the future and next gen and, you know, what we need to delve down the road, 2030, 2050, et cetera. It's too late if we think about what we need to do then, by the way. And you're placing all the responsibility and burden on the next generation. Next gen is this gen. Uh, 2050 is now, 2030 is now. So when you're a parent, I think you feel that burden much more on your shoulders as opposed to saying, you know what, it's for the next person to figure out. I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm trying to think how to phrase this as a follow-up question, because the number one theme of questions that I got from the Hospitality Daily community was, how can uh, female leaders build their career in hospitality? I'm hearing what you're saying and not saying it's just the next generation, it's now. So I guess maybe for female leaders who are 
looking to build their careers and maybe are a little newer on that journey. But again, to your point, here and now, what would be your advice for building their career if they want in leadership and hospitality? Listen, this is a very welcoming industry. There's so many women. It's an industry of care, right? The art of hospitality is the art of welcoming, you know? And I think a lot of time we think about just service and it's not, it's welcoming. When you welcome somebody at home, to your home or to the hotel, you're, you know, that is what hospitality is. I think for women, this is an amazing organization. It's about people. It's caring. There's an art and a science. But by the way, just with any job, it's very hard when you're a mom. It's very hard when you're a woman. Uh, so you got to make sure that whatever field you go into it, eyes wide open. And, you know, I know uh, women work exceptionally hard. But it is not easy to balance. Going back to this work-life balance, this blend, it's a lot of responsibility in your shoulders. I think for me, my aha moments happened when I became a mom. I was 39, and I got to experience the greatest power that we have as women, which is the ability to bring a life to this world. And I had never realized how strong I was. Physically, emotionally, mentally, it is so much work. And so every time we talked about even maternity leave at work, and sadly, it's uh, the way it's categorized, even my insurance is your handicap. It's a disability for insurance purposes, right? But in reality, this is the biggest superpower we have as women. It's the biggest superpower. It's not a disability. It's not a handicap. It's the biggest superpower. And it gives you a different perspective. That's why we can be great leaders. We can feel for others, okay? We're very good at adapting. You're good at bringing teams together, at bringing differences of opinion. By the way, the world is complicated right now. You know, there's a lot of information, negative news, noise, so on and so forth. And so you need somebody to sort through that, get people to work together. You need to inspire others. That's your job. As a leader, you're the orchestra director and you got to make sure that everything sounds in harmony. I feel like women were very good at doing that. And I like to say this, I learned a very important lesson from a student at the hotel school, The Hague. This was, yeah, about two months ago, maybe three months ago. And he said to me, the leader of the future needs to have three things. It's IQ, okay, EQ, and AQ. And AQ being adaptability. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to work and live in a world that's constantly changing. And I feel like us women, we can do that very well. It's in our DNA. It's embedded in our instincts. And so for anybody wanting to be a leader out there, you got this. It's in you. The problem is a lot of us don't discover it until we become moms and we feed it. So there you go. That's my mom's speech. I appreciate you sharing that and uh, talking a little bit about adaptability. It's something that we can all uh, take into our workplaces. As a leader, you also have the ability to influence the organization to some extent, right? And you have been a leading voice for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think something I've appreciated about how you've both led the companies you've led and been a voice for change is you've talked about some structural things that potentially others aren't talking about that get in the way of operating this way. And even things like business development is specific as how we grow our business. Is it always all about late meals and entertainment? Are there other things that you think that are these structural barriers that need to be addressed that people aren't talking about 
that would get in the way of becoming a more inclusive environment? Yeah, I'd like to say, listen, if the rules don't exist, just write on. <laughs> you know, we need to come up with our own rules. So not everything is about a late night drinks or a game of golf or whatever, right? You're going to do business with people you like. You're going to like and trust people if you develop a relationship. So it's all about relationship building. There's no certain way to develop a relationship. It's not like there's only three ways and that's it. So we just got to take the time to meet with other people in whatever, by the way, if maybe you're into this particular hobby or whatever, you can take people into that. But the reality, honestly, the best way to effectuate change is to have representation in the boardroom. And, you know, I've said this many times, I did not appreciate how difficult it is to be a parent until I became one. So for me to go to a, you know, a boardroom and say, we need to do X, Y, Z for a parent, just because I'm a woman, I wasn't a parent. I didn't know. Right. And the same for somebody who may have a disability or is a caregiver with very specific circumstances, et cetera. We need representation in the boardroom. We need to hear that. So diversity, it's not about gender or the color of your skin. It's not about that. It's diversity and background. That's it. And, you know, we need to understand what drives you, what your circumstances are, et cetera, and bring that to the boardroom. And then we can effectuate that change that we need to make sure that everybody feels like they're part of the organization, that they matter, their voices are heard. But we need to make sure their voices are actually heard and not me saying what I think they want to hear. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 